Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 26th day of July, 2023. This is episode 763 of Bitcoin, and there's a fire burning west of me. I guess it's fire season. Haven't had a whole lot of rain up in the eastern part of Washington uh, so far. In fact, we've had almost no rain. It's It's dry as a bone up here, man, and it's dangerous as shit. And now there's a fire burning, oh, I don't know, probably a good 15 miles away from us on the west-hand side. Uh, 500 acres so far, none of it is contained. Uh, Am I worried? Well, no, not really. I mean, I don't see a whole lot of evidence that this town that I'm living in has burned to the ground in in the last 20, 25 years. But still, it sucks for the farmers out there because this is this is wheat harvest. I mean, all the wheat in the fields, nothing is green anymore except for the lentils and maybe the garbanzo beans. But like most of the wheat and rye and barley that's grown out here, it's it's past its fill stage and they're just starting to harvest, which means it's dry as bone. So, uh, you know, send good wishes to the farming community out my way, and hopefully they'll get that fire contained, and it won't spread to people's livelihoods, because this is exactly the time that people, they've been working all, you know, they've been working since, I don't know, since spring to get crops in the ground. They've waited patiently. It's all grown. The crops look good. And now it's all dry as a bone waiting to be harvested. They're waiting for moisture content to get down to dive below, I think it's 14% for wheat. I think they're looking for 12% moisture. So that's dry. That's real dry. That's the kind of dry that, yeah, that's that's dry enough to spark up like a freaking bowl full of weedy. Anyway, we've got n- other news. So Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman, Digital Shovel unveils nanopod a compact and efficient bitcoin mining solution digital shovel the industry leading manufacturer of turnkey mobile crypto mining containers has announced the launch of their latest innovation the nanopod designed specifically for small to medium mining operations the nanopod stands out as the company's most compact and efficient offering to date setting a new standard in size and convenience With a footprint small enough to fit through a seven-foot-tall door and occupying a mere two standard skid spaces in a tractor trailer, the Nanopod seeks to optimize mining space and enhance their capabilities. Similar to its large counterparts, the M300 and I300 Minipods, the Nanopod offers a rugged and easy-to-deploy all-in-one solution that can be 
used both indoors as well as outdoors. Quote, we at Digital Shovel are dedicated to assisting businesses in scaling their crypto mining operations with turnkey mobile units, explained CEO Scott Johnson. The Nanopod represents a new era of affordability and enhanced security for small to medium miners, and we are thrilled to unveil it at the mining community here at Mining Disrupt in Miami. Key features of the Nanopod include flexible power options capable of supporting single-phase 220 to 240 volt and three-phase 415 to 380 volt and 220 to 240 volt. With a mining capacity of up to 120 kilowatts, the Nanopod can house 28-bit main S19 miners or 36 watts miners, providing ample power for optimized mining performance. The Nanopod also incorporates smart PDUs, enabling individual circuit wattage monitoring, automated switching of each circuit, and an atmospheric monitoring system, heat vectoring management system, and automated fan control for effective temperature regulation. In terms of ventilation and filtration, the Nanopod uses six awning-based intakes measuring 6x24x24x4, along with six 2100 CFM blower fans. To emphasize its eco-friendly focus, the Nanopod has been engineered with high heat recycling capabilities, allowing blower fans to be partially ducted towards building or greenhouses in need of heat. A remote thermostat empowers users to monitor the temperature within the structure and automatically reroute excess heat once the desired temperature is reached. The launch of the Nanopod marks a step forward in the Bitcoin mining industry, providing smaller miners with a highly accessible and sophisticated solution for their operations. Again, Nick Hoffman writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Now, agreed... Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like, dude, it's like an it's like a huge advertisement. Yeah, but for miners that want to know if they can get into mining at a smaller scale than you know buying a full blown container full of you know, I don't know what what they hold like 200 miners. You know, maybe you want to scale down, or maybe you don't have the room, right? So this seems to be effective. But what's most interesting about this is the quote unquote heat vectoring phrase where you can vector the heat and put it somewhere of use. See, what's going on is that we're starting to determine as a species that waste heat from anything, honestly, is indeed useful. And if we can collect it and gather it, we might be able to do other things with it, like heat a greenhouse in the middle of winter. I don't know, above like 45 degree latitudes here in the northern, you know, northern United States where it gets where it can get fucking cold, you know, and if you're outside of eastern Washington where it's actually fairly kind of it's not I won't say it's mild. It's not like it's a balmy 72 in February or anything like that. It can get damn cold. But in Minnesota, North Dakota, places like that, like the high reaches of northern Idaho, Montana, that shit gets cold, real cold. So in the winter, if you're producing a whole bunch of excess heat and you're able to put one of these smaller pods next to, say, a greenhouse, well, all of a sudden, if you're operating 24-7, and you should be as a miner, and you've got the capacity to do that with your energy intake, then you can harvest that heat and grow hothouse tomatoes. And there's that's, honestly, that's another crop. Now, here's the thing. See, you don't, you know, for a miner out there who's listening to me going, dude, I've got more on my plate than I know what to do with. 
Yeah, but if you've got somebody who is interested in growing things in a greenhouse and is not interested in mining, then you can hook up. You see how this works? Joel Salatin, the millionaire farmer out in West, I think he's out in West Virginia, very famous guy. Uh, he he basically made, you know, uh, he's he's making farming kind of like a rock show, you know, like a like a concert, like something that's actually fun, enjoyable, and and it pay and for him it pays very very well. You know, he's built it over decades, but he if you don't know who Joel Salatin is, you really need to look into this guy, man. Um, he talks about fiefdoms and what the way that he runs his farm is that he looks at it as I've got a plot of land and my farming on this plot of land consists of X, like, I don't know, cows. In fact, well, for Joel, it's more like the the chickens that that's his, he does a lot of chickens. So we'll just keep it at that. But his farm also produces rabbits. Does Joel Salatin raise rabbits? No, Joel Salatin does not raise rabbits. But does Joel Salatin's farm have rabbits? Yes, it does. His son does the rabbitry. All right. Other people do other things on that farm. And it's not a communal thing. He's a he's a hardcore capitalist. Joel Salatin is. But the way that he looks at it is that he will rent part of his farm out to other people and that rent consists of part of the income that they make from their part of that farm. The same thing can be done with mining, right? Especially with something that's really portable, really maneuverable, fairly light, and can fit through a seven-foot door, right? It being able to vector that heat around, and I'm just thinking greenhouses because I always like growing things, so therefore I'm kind of focused on stuff that grows. But yeah, I'll just use it as an example. Um, but you could do other things like, uh, well, black soldier fly larvae. They don't really do all that well in the winter. But if you can heat an enclosure, even a greenhouse enclosure and do black soldier fly so that you're taking in like restaurant waste and you're they're paying you to take their waste away and you're using that to feed black soldier fly. And then you're selling the black soldier fly that you're growing in a greenhouse along with tomatoes then that one person that can do both of those operations that's dependent on the heat from a mining operation and that the miner that owns that operation has nothing to do with raising black soldier fly or tomatoes. If they can figure out a way to co-locate and be beneficial to each other, then all of a sudden you've got the waste stream of one system being a critical component as an intake to another system. Maybe they can even pay each other. You see what I'm saying? Like the the farmer can like pay for the heat and somehow or another there's a symbiotic relationship where the heat is not going to waste. Now in the summertime, as far as agriculture is concerned, it's hard to figure out what the hell to do with the heat. But there are things that can be done with that heat. So let's let's move on. We've got we've got other things to talk about. I don't want to dwell too much on the the potential of that. But WorldCoin thankfully, is struggling to find new users willing to scan Iris for crypto. Prashant Jha from Cointelegraph tells us more. The controversial crypto project WorldCoin was launched for the public on July the 24th, making way for customers to scan their Iris at designated locations in 20 countries and receive all of 25 WorldCoin, the native token of the project. 
The project debuted on the back of 2 million pre-signups, but the interest seems to have faded after the actual launch. On the first day, users seemed keen, with Hong Kong seeing the highest number of signups. The city offered three designated spots called Orbs, where users, (laughs) irises, are scanned, and they're offered a world ID. According to a report published by South China Morning Post, the three designated locations in Hong Kong saw about 200 signups on the first day, making it the highest number of signups across the 20 countries including included in the launch. Heather Huang, one of the orb operators in the city, said that the total number of signups in Hong Kong on the first day accounted for nearly half of the total amount WorldCoin saw across all of its new markets. Based on the data shared by the Orb operator, Hong Kong accounted for nearly 600 signups, 200 signups per Orb location. Thus, with 600 signups being nearly half of all the new registration across 20 countries, the total number of estimated signup across all markets come to about 1,000 to 1,200 people. Aww. Cointelegraph reached out to WorldCoin to confirm that they fucked up, but the precise number of signups after the launch of the project, but they, we, of course, have not received a response. The stark contrast in the number of signups before and after the launch suggests a lack of enthusiasm. However, the early onboards also proved controversial as one MIT report suggested that the developers behind the project attracted the first million users using various deceptions, cash handouts, and more, especially in developing countries where data laws are not notably strong. The project has drawn scrutiny from many well-known names in the crypto community, including Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin and Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. In its defense, the project has maintained that it doesn't collect any personal information and can delete the biometric data upon request from users. Yeah, but how can you prove that? Okay, let's get into the into really that that particular news, which is good. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest. Sam Altman's going to figure out a way to get more interest. That's what his his don't think he's going to quit, not for a second. So it's we've got this this lull period before he figures out how to kick this shit into high gear to warn everybody that you know to not get into this shit at all. That you don't want your friends and families to have their iris scanned. There's no way WorldCoin and that freak Sam Altman is going to be able to guarantee that they deleted that data. I don't think that they have any intention whatsoever of deleting anything. And even if they, what kind of proof would you need? What would be acceptable to you? To say, yes, they definitely deleted my data. What happens if when that iris scan happens, that file is immediately duplicated and sent to two locations and they only show you the deletion of one file? What if you ask to see the firmware? What if you ask to see the software? Are they going to open source that so you could actually see that the file was immediately duplicated and sent to another storage location? They're not going to do that. There is 100% no way that Sam Altman and the freaks over at WorldCoin will be able to prove to anyone ever that they've done a thing. That includes, did they even scan your iris? 
I mean, the only way that that one is easy to prove if they've got a picture of your iris and they show you your own eyeball. Yep. They probably did it. But as for deletion, there's 100% no chance, no chance that they can. Well, there's zero chance that they can show you that they've deleted the file. There's zero chance that they're going to show you the software. Stay away from anybody with a silver ball in their hands asking you if you want free money. Okay, so and and any any of you guys in Africa, if if anybody in Africa is listening to me, they're coming after you the worst. All the African countries on that continent are in, are in the most danger, and Latin America is in the second most danger. Eastern Europe is in the third most danger, but Africa, that's where they're going after. They're going after Africa. I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying. All right. So <clears throat> turns out. <clears throat> getting back into um, freedom music, which was the name of yesterday's episode, um, I put on Ainsley Costello's Cherry on Top song, right? She had been trending in the Wave Lake charts as of last night. She hit number one. So congratulations. If you guys helped do that for Ainsley, I, I appreciate it. I don't know her. I've never talked to her. I'm not related to her. I don't know any of her family, right? The whole reason that I started playing mu- you know, music again, because I used to during the show was because I like music. I really do, except that I stopped doing, well, I stopped doing it because, oh my God, at one point or another, somebody, I was going to get a cease and desist letter, if, if not flat ass sued, because I was using copyrighted music, Right. I was using music that is not only copyrighted, but it's going to be heavily defended by ASCAP and BMI and Sony Music and God only knows who, who whoever is left in the music industry that, that actually produces albums. I was going, somebody was going to pull the plug on my ass. And I was like, you know what? It's just not worth it. But Wave Lake is, is different because these guys are not, the artists on Wave Lake are not dependent upon the music industry, right? Not the legacy music industry. It it would behoove us to help this new music industry get started. And the way that we do that is to appreciate the music that is being written that is not being allowed to be licensed by the likes of Sony, ASCAP, BMI, so that I can play it, I can promote it, I can I can do this, I think. I've asked Wave Lake directly. On it in a DM on Nostra, I haven't gotten a uh, a response back yet. But I did reply to one of their notes yesterday that was uh, telling us that Ainsley Costello finally hit number one on the Wave Lake charts. Congratulations, Ainsley! And uh, I said, well, I played it on the show yesterday. I hope it helped. And they said, yes, we're we're sure it did. What they didn't say was, you better cease and desist, or we're going to come after you. So I'm taking that as a tacit approval that I can now bring you another song. So who is it today? Well, today is Looking For You featuring Kellen Quinn by Jeremy Oliveira. Again, this is on Wave Lake. Let's see if you guys can get this one to the top of the charts as well, all right? Did it get very far? Fault lines inside of Break lights with no gasoline 
point i don't i i just think that the music industry is just as bad as any of the legacy 
systems that that we're fighting against in the first damn place, whether it be journalism, whether it be banking, whether it be the financial institutions of the world, like, you know, the Fed and the World Bank and IMF and whatever. They're all corrupt. All of them. Hollywood, corrupt. Sony Music, corrupt. Federal Reserve, corrupt. IMF, corrupt. It's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. And the only only possible way that we have out of this is to start looking for other ways to either support people or get supported by people for the things that we do, whether we're making music, whether we're doing podcasts, whether we're, I don't know, making our own movies or documentaries, whatever. There's only one way out. The door is actually wide open. It's, it's the only thing about walking through that door is that it's painful. You know, you, you, I've been doing this podcast for well over four years. It's a painful process. You know, it, 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 it just is because you sacrifice a lot. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes on. But one of the things that I don't want to see is somebody like Ainsley Costello sacrifice herself to the beast that is Sony. And all that comes along with that, especially for a young woman under the age of 20. You know, Madonna, I don't even know what she had to go through when she was a teenager, when she was just breaking into the industry. I know what she became. She became a, whether you like her or not, I respect the fact that that chick is one of the best businesswomen I've ever seen. But I don't know what it is that she had to endure to actually get to that point. I would rather people like Ainsley or this fellow Jeremy not have to go through that. Or Joe Martin, which is another artist on Wavelake. I would just rather them not have to go through that. I would rather them just concentrate on being able to do the things that they want to do. And that ability comes from people like you. Making a decision to stop buying bullshit from Sony Music. And start supporting the people that don't want to have anything to do with that style, that life, that that beast. Because that is a smelly beast. But... Not as smelly as this one. Craig Wright must pay $516,000 to pursue a case against Kraken and Coinbase, according to a UK judge. Coindesk Jack Schickler has it. Craig Wright, an Australian asshole who claims he is a blockchain innovator, Satoshi Nakamoto, and owns the concepts underpinning Bitcoin, must pay 400000 British pounds in security for legal costs to pursue Claims against crypto exchanges Coinbase and Kraken. James Meller, a judge at the England and Wales High Court, said that he wasn't convinced Wright would be able to fund legal costs, pointing to previous allegedly inconsistent statements about Wright's financial position in a judgment issued on Tuesday. The evidence doesn't persuade me that Wright or his investment company have liquid assets to meet potentially substantial legal cost, Mellor said, adding that he'll strike out the action within weeks if security is not put in place. <laughs> Wright says that he owns the goodwill in the term Bitcoin and that Coinbase and Kraken, by allowing trading in Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, are damaging the brand of rival cryptocurrency BSV. Mellor cited statements made by Wright that he had made himself financially untouchable by using a trust to shift assets and testimony allegedly inconsistent with that given in parallel U.S. court proceedings involving former business partner Ira Kleeman, or Kleiman. 
In a Florida case due to be heard later, Wednesday, Wright is due to defend himself against charges that he should be held in contempt of court, finally, for failing to fully disclose information needed to resolve a dispute with Kleiman's estate over the ownership of $143 million in cryptocurrency. Wright has argued he doesn't have financial information about his wife, Ramona Ang, and that his own witness statements filed in UK court constitute hearsay. In October, an Oslo court ruled a Twitter user Hodlinot had been within his rights to post 2019 tweets calling Wright a fraud and a scammer for saying he was Nakamoto, author of the 2008 Bitcoin white paper. An appeal of that case will be heard later this year. In an email statement, a spokesman for Kraken told Coindesk that the ruling is an important win in our defense against Wright's claim to control Bitcoin. Quote, Satoshi never meant for a single person to control Bitcoin, which is why he released the Bitcoin software under open source license for the world's benefit, the spokesperson said. Coinbase and lawyers for Wright did not immediately respond to a request for comment. So there you go. Wright <clears throat> being told by a judge, put up or shut up, because I think that the court systems around the world are getting tired of this guy. And I'm surprised that it took this long. This should have this shit should have been done, you know, years ago. Honestly, after after it became very clear that he had no problem committing perjury in court under oath in any country in the world, it should have been evident to any judge that he just needs to be dismissed out of hand from now on. And yet, it took another two fucking years for them to get off their ass and say, "I'm not doing it." I'm not wasting the court's time. I'm not wasting the the, the 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 teletypist or whatever, the stenographer's time. I'm not wasting the bailiff's time. We're not doing this. Finally, finally, somebody is actually saying, fuck this guy. Thank God. I thank God. Now, Bitcoin whales have moved nearly $60 million in five days. All right, so here comes the FUD. Matt DeSilvo or Salvo from Decrypt.co, even long dormant Bitcoin whales can't sit still. A number of big investors holding millions of dollars in BTC moved their holdings last week after years of dormancy. On July the 20th, two wallets from 2011, each holding 10 BTC, moved their holdings to new locations. The next day, a wallet holding 5 BTC budged after 12 years of inactivity. Guys, those are not whales. I don't know what Matt's talking about. But then... Around $30.3 million in digital gold, or roughly 1,037 BTC, moved after its owner put it in a new wallet for the first time since 2012. The price of the cryptocurrency was $4.92 per coin back then. Finally, on July the 24th, a wallet from 2010 moved 50 BTC, or $1.4 million, Bitcoin whales are investors who hoard huge amounts of Bitcoin. Such investors have proven to be more successful than traders that buy and sell Bitcoin over a short period. The asset is extremely volatile in the short term, but over the past 10 years, it has shot up from under $95 per coin to $29,000 to $30,700. Or no, I'm sorry. Oh, wait, no, to $29,203, which is a 30,700% increase. Holy 
Man, whales have certainly been on the move this year. Blockchain data from firm Glassnode said in a Monday report that there has been a dramatic uptick over recent months and noted that a number of whales have been moving holdings to exchanges, usually the best way to cash out or shift holdings to other digital assets. It isn't clear whether these whales are individuals or companies, but Dr. Kirill Kretov, a developer of tools for automated trading and blockchain analyst, previously told Decrypt that it was possible that these transactions represent commercial entities buying the Bitcoin from individuals. Okay, that could be. That could be. It could be that they're selling sort of in a quote-unquote private auction kind of thing uh, to BlackRock. Okay. Honestly, I've seen this activity several times. It usually happens after a dip in the price of a substantial percentage point, somewhere around, you know, three to 5%. And well, and then of course, going down to 20%, all of a sudden fucking whales come out of the woodwork and they start moving their Bitcoin around. You know why they're doing that? In most cases, it's a gut feeling. I have no proof. I don't do analytics. It's to scare you out of your Bitcoin. Because it's like, Think about it. Think about the psychology at work here. You get a big dip, and that could be organic. Most likely, we'll just say it's organic. Like, it's just like, all of a sudden, you know, some people just sold a whole bunch of Bitcoin, and they really did sell it. They sold it at market price. It flashed a signal to the rest of the market, and then a whole bunch of other people uh, followed suit. And then it kind of stabilizes out. And then what happens? Then what happens? Whales start moving their Bitcoin, and then they don't do anything. They don't do anything. Some of them might. We don't know. But generally speaking, when 1,000 Bitcoin move to a new address and somebody like Glassnode says, we think it might be to Kraken, it doesn't actually get sold. It's FUD. It's to, for you to sell your Bitcoin and cause more of the, that organic sell motion to depress the price further so that they can do what? Buy your Bitcoin. Do with this what you will, but honestly, it's just, in my opinion, this entire thing about whales moving their coins after 11 years is FUD, right? It's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Did they really move it? Yes, they really moved it. Do you know what their true intentions are? No, you don't, and neither do I, but fuck them both. Anyway, so uh, what do we got here? Uh, oh, you know what? That's it. Let's run numbers. All right, now here in about, oh, I don't know. Let's see. Maybe, is it an hour or so? Uh, let me get to it. I, I, I was here for a second. Let me let me get back to it. Uh, Federal Reserve is re meeting again today. This is the last day of their two-day meeting. Um, it looks like uh, somewhere around 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so what would that be? It's 11... Well, so here in about 15 minutes or so, I guess, if I'm doing my math right, and I may not be, uh, we're going to get word as to what the Fed actually did. Are they going to raise interest rates by a quarter of a point or 25 bits, bips, or aren't they? I think they are. I think they will. 
And right now, the market is sort of waiting for all that, whether it be Bitcoin, legacy, commodities, energy, it doesn't matter. Let's start with energy. Oil, West Texas Intermediate is down a full point to 78.84. Brent North Sea is down almost a full point to 82.94 a barrel. And natural gas is down 2.78% to $2.65 a thousand. And gasoline, however, is up one. to $2.90. Gold is up a third of a point to $19.70. Silver is up a half. Platinum is down two-thirds. Copper is down a half. Palladium is down 1.89%. Ag is getting lunched again. Biggest loser today is wheat, 5.16% to the downside. Biggest winner today is going to be cocoa, 2.2 or no, 2.82% to the upside. I got live cattle up a quarter, lean hogs down over a point, and feeder cattle is up one half of one point. The Dow is sideways, the S&P is sideways, and the NASDAQ is down 0.74%. S&P mini is up a quarter. I got real money chilling at what? Oh, good Lord, I don't want any of those. I, I For whatever reason, BitInfoCharts decided I wanted to hear about shit coins, and I don't. We've got uh, 0.53 BTC as the average transaction value. Median transaction value is $20. Uh, Block times are slightly low, 9 minutes and 44 seconds, with a 9.68% decrease in hash rate. We're at 370.8 exahashes per second. Uh, We got 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 19.6 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And Doge is at 7.8 United States pennies. So a little bit of steam being lit out of the altcoin market. Who knows? I believe it's still coming. I think it's going to be sustained and I think people are going to get hurt. Reach out to your friends and family. Be first, not last. $569.5 $569.5 billion of market cap is 4.35% of gold's market cap. You can still only purchase 15 ounces of those shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,439,693 of, and 4,660.5 and of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $136.5 million. 16,354 nodes that we can see, and 68,000 807 payment channels that we know about 72.7% of all of that is being run over Tor mempools looking to be about 110 109 blocks carrying 268,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear high priority transactions are going for 8 satoshis per vbyte as well as low priority at 8 satoshis per vbyte and anything under 3.64 Satoshis per VBite are being purged out of mempools around the world. And according to mempool.space, we have a hash rate of 429.8 exahashes per second. So that's quite a percentage difference from 370 exahashes to 429.8 exahashes is quite a percentile differential when it comes to what the fuck is the hash rate. Nobody knows. Because it's hard to tell, but it is what it is. I am now sitting at number 12 in the fountain charts for the Bitcoin and. Um, so if you, you know, I, I, once again, I'm asking you to get me the hell out of the bottom 25 and into the top 10. And people like Monarid is going to help me do that with a thousand Satoshi says, cheers, Dave. And uh, he says, 
Oh, he gives the link to Ainsley Costello for those interested in supporting Cherry on Top by Ainsley Costello. Uh, Pies with 100 says, David, you encourage me to have a change of heart and give Bitcoin Magazine podcast a second chance. But I will never trust them the way I trust you and other content creators in the space. Oh, man, dude, that was nice, bro. Pies with another 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. No, actually, the weather report. What am I saying? Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Uh, today's uh, Circle P vendor is the Good Beans. You can find good coffee from El Salvador because that's where they're at. They're in El Salvador. So if you want to support some guys in El Salvador, go to thegoodbeans.com. That's thegoodbeans, all one word, .com. Their Twitter handle, Noster handle, and NPUB will be in the show notes. And I understand that the show notes are a mess when it comes to fountain apps, mobile application. It, it just, I'm, I, and there's nothing that I can do about that whatsoever. So I can apologize as profusely as I can. You can also use other apps. You can use breeze. You can use Sphinx. They, they have uh, podcast players inside of them. Uh, they're, they're better. And there's, there's other podcast apps. You can go to newpodcastapps.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. And you can find another 2.0 podcasting app enabled situation. And there are some that do things better than the mobile applications that is Fountain. I happen to love Fountain. I really do. I think Fountain is great, but it really screws up the formatting of the show notes. Like when I put in those show notes, it looks nothing like that. It's actually formatted. There's actually spaces in between shit. But when it goes into Fountain, and I don't know why, when Fountain picks up the RSS feed and picks up the show notes that's in, embedded in the RSS feed, it completely just, it just mangles it. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing I can do. If you go to fountain.app on desktop, the links are there, but they're not active links. You actually have to, you know, copy and cut and paste and, and, and do the thing and reach for stuff. But that's because we're in a brand new world with brand new things. And I understand that it's a pain in the ass, but the only way that we're going to lift ourselves out of the legacy bullshit is to actually go through the motions of doing work and, and, and being slightly inconvenienced every once in a while. And I, I get it, but honestly, it's a small price to ask for a future of freedom. Is it not? All right, let's get into this one. <clears throat> We've got decrypt.co. You can earn Bitcoin for walking around major cities, and here's how. Andrew Hayward from decrypt.co. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. Mobile app smiles launched in 2020 with the promise of letting users earn Bitcoin for things you already do, like walking and shopping. But the app has now expanded to encourage users to go beyond the routine with a Pokemon Go-like map that points you towards real-world locations that can earn you small stashes of Bitcoin. Bitcoinverse is the latest, latest feature added to the Smiles app on iPhone and Android, and it takes the real-world map of your surroundings and peppers it with secret stashes of Satoshis, or the smallest unit of measurement for a Bitcoin. Just follow the big orange Bitcoin logo and claim the reward once you're nearby. 
Pokemon's gotta catch them all slogan takes on a different meaning when there's real Bitcoin at the tail end of your adventure, while the rewards, which are paid out via Bitcoin's lightning network, are likely to be modest. The feature may provide an incentive for Smile users to get out and explore. Bitcoinverse is funded by advertisers who can sponsor locations on the map to get the word out about their business. Smile's co-founder Igbrozevsky, I can't pronounce it, told Decrypt that any sponsor is always clearly identified within the app, which also provides a link to the sponsor's website. The feature just recently started rolling out. Uh, to what Brzezinski said are about 140,000 total Smiles users. And for now, the reward locations appear to be concentrated around major cities across the United States and Europe. A look at the U.S. Midwest, for example, shows three locations in downtown Chicago with one location in downtown Kansas City. That's it. But Smiles has plans to expand its functionality over time with features like in-store deals and surveys on the horizon to provide advertisers deeper engagement with users. The ultimate goal is a self-sustaining ecosystem that rewards players for participating and exploring while benefiting brands and companies by pointing users in their direction. Quote, the black box of traditional advertising where nobody knows what the margins are and what does and does not work will be changed. As people have a natural sense of gratitude, the Bitcoin verse ecosystem strengthens the loyalty bond between brands and customer Berzovsky said. The Smiles app has gradually expanded since launch using Bitcoin rewards for hitting step goals while walking, buying things from various partnered retailers, and playing simple games like chess through the mobile app. Smiles isn't the first app to try and mash up location-based gaming with Bitcoin. Rewards app Fold launched its own augmented reality feature back in 2021 using Pokemon Go creator Niantic's own tech platform. But broadly, Smiles fits within a growing ecosystem of shopping apps, mobile games, and even specialized Bitcoin-infused servers for popular games like Minecraft and Counter-Strike Global Offensive, all aimed at boosting engagement by letting users accumulate bits of Bitcoin while doing, well, you know, things you already do, to borrow a slogan, quote, we at Smiles strongly believe that Bitcoin is the best loyalty tool possible. It will never expire, has a deflationary appeal to young and tech-savvy users, and in our case, a powerful lightning network back in for instant micropayments. So there you go. You want to walk around, get healthy, and possibly find some Bitcoin, you know, knock yourself out with Smiles. There's no way that this is going to expand to my uh, neck of the woods anytime soon. Because I live in a town of like, you know, sub 50,000 people. So therefore, yeah, it's not going to happen anytime soon, right? Well, not as soon as I, I would like. But if you're in a major metropolitan area like Toronto or somewhere like, I don't know, like London, New York, uh, Chicago, and uh, whatever. Um, what am I trying to say? L.A. Yeah, stuff like that. Seattle. Yeah, go. Then you can you might be able to get some satoshis by walking around and going and exploring. Personally, I think it's a good idea. Why? Walking's good for you. You should walk every day. You should walk quite a bit, in fact. So get out there, take some steps, bro. Uh, Binance has withdrawn its crypto license application in Germany. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Prashen Ja, Coin Telegraph, Binance has withdrawn its crypto. 
currency custody license application in Germany. The exchange confirmed its withdrawal to Cointelegraph on July the 26th, nearly a month after reports of rejections from the German Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, also known as BaFin. On June the 29th, BaFin reportedly rejected the crypto exchange's custody license. However, at the time, it was unclear whether the regulator officially denied Binance's application of it or verbally informed the company. However, Binance has now confirmed that it has formally withdrawn the application. A spokesperson from Binance told Cointelegraph that it intends to reapply for a license in Germany with changes to its application reflecting the changes in the regulatory environment. Quote, Binance confirms that it has proactively withdrawn its BaFin application. The situation, both in the global market and regulation, has changed significantly. Binance still intends to apply for appropriate appropriate licensing in Germany, but it is essential that our submission accurately reflect these changes, end quote. Binance CEO Xingping Zhao said it would focus on becoming compliant with the European Union's markets and crypto assets regulations to offer its services in European countries. However, its European expansion plans have taken a setback amid its regulatory troubles in the United States. Gee, can't imagine why. The crypto exchange is facing multiple investigations in the United States from financial regulators and also under investigation in France since early 2022. Before its withdrawal from Germany, the crypto exchange also exited the Dutch market after failing to secure a virtual asset service provider license from regulators in that country. The crypto exchange also applied to wind down its services in the United Kingdom and Cyprus. So Binance sort of sucking swamp water. They're, they're kind of getting bitch slapped everywhere they go. And I expect this to happen to, well, all the crypto exchanges, except possibly who? Coinbase. Is it because I like them? No, I can't stand them. I like Binance better than I like Coinbase, but Coinbase has literally no problem whatsoever getting on its knees and pleasuring those who they need to pleasure to be able to remain in business. The only time that they've ever given any kind of, you know, backtalk to U.S. federal regulators or investigators is when they refused to hand over certain tax documents and made that a pain in the IRS's ass. That's it. Everything else, they're like, yes, sir. How low do I need to sink on my knees, sir? That's what they say. And that's why Coinbase is going to probably be one of the only cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. And that's just sad. So I understand if you want to buy their stock, but dude, don't feed the beast. If you can get away from it, don't don't feed the beast. Uh, and don't feed this beast either if you can get away from it. Chain analysis. Chain analysis investigations lead is unaware of any scientific evidence that the surveillance software actually works. Coinbase Lola Leets writing it. Chain analysis's head of investigations does not seem to have a great understanding of whether her company's flagship software even works. Elizabeth Bisbee, head of investigations at Chain Analysis Government Solutions or CGS, testified that she was unaware of scientific evidence for the accuracy of chain analysis reactor software used by law enforcement, an unreleased transcript of a June 23rd hearing shared with Coindesk shows. Wow. The fact that chain analysis blockchain demystification tools have become so widespread is a serious threat to the crypto ecosystem. Although industry leaders have raged against chain analysis since its founding, 
often accusing it of violating people's financial privacy, there may be a better argument to make against the company and analysis firms like it. It's within the realm of possibility that these surveillance machines don't work as well as advertised. This is a big deal considering Chainalysis's surveillance tools are widely used across the industry for compliance and have at times led to unjustified account restrictions and even worse, land unsuspecting individuals on the radar of law enforcement agencies without probable cause. That's precisely the argument that renowned lawyer Tor Eklund is making in his latest defense of an accused early Bitcoin adopter and why he was quizzing a chain analysis executive on the stand. Bisbee was testifying in a case between the U.S. government and Roman Sterlingov, the alleged creator of the once popular Bitcoin fog cryptocurrency mixer used to anonymize Bitcoin transactions. Chainalysis reactor software was used to track cryptocurrency payments in Sterlingov's criminal investigation and is now being challenged by Sterlingov's defense. Sterlingov is represented by Eklund, who has made a career out of defending hackers and technology providers. Eklund said Chainalysis Reactor is a black box algorithm that relies on junk science. In a hearing aimed to establish the admissibility of expert testimony, Bisbee was pressed for details on the accuracy of the reactor software Chainalysis sells to government for law enforcement purposes, including what evidence the company has that suggests that it even works. Bisbee said that she was unable to provide the court with statistical error rates for Chainalysis reactor software. She further denied being aware of any scientific peer-reviewed papers or anything published anywhere attesting to the accuracy of Chainalysis reactor. Instead, Chainalysis reportedly judges its software's accuracy using customer feedback. Really? Wow. Bisbee's statements are in line with the blog post published by Chainalysis competitor Coinbase, which describes blockchain analytics as more of an art than a science. Coinbase offers blockchain analytics service to law enforcement officers or uh, law enforcement via its tracer software. For Chainalysis' part, the company noted in a July 18th court declaration, there is no doubt about the reactor software's findings. Although not peer-reviewed in an academic sense, the company's clustering heuristic The algorithm used to find relationships between blockchain addresses comes to deterministic conclusions that can be independently verified or reproduced. The same statement noted the company is unaware of margins of error rates for the reactor software and has not gathered or recorded false positive and negative rates for its software overall. Unfortunately for Bisbee and her corporate overlords, we still live in a democracy in which criminal convictions prerequisite the existence of scientific evidence. Maybe Bisbee would be better suited pursuing an art history degree. So good on Coindesk for bringing this uh, to light. Honestly, I get kind of tired of reading, having to filter all the shitcoin and NFT news out of Coindesk so that I can actually bring you real, you know, Bitcoin news. Um, But this one is beyond the pale. You got a guy, this, this Roman Stalingov, this guy has been cooling his heels for, I think over two years now because he was using the Bitcoin fog machine. Now they're saying that he, that he built it. He doesn't have the technical expertise to build it. He just used it. That seems fairly evident 
from other chain analysis style things. They, I mean, he's like, here's my address. And they were able to trace everything. And yes, it, did it go through Bitcoin fog? It absolutely went through Bitcoin fog. You know what's been updated since Mr. Stalingov has actually been physically under, you know, in jail. He's been in custody 24 hours a day for like over two years. And you know what's been updated several times since he's been in custody as the creator of Bitcoin fog? Bitcoin fog. It's still running. It's still being updated. Code changes are still being made. Yet he was the one that created it. Now, that's all bullshit is what it is. But we got a person who on the stand, right, giving testimony recorded in a United States court that she is unaware of any scientific evidence whatsoever that the reactor software actually fucking works at all. And there's a guy sitting in jail that has been there for over two years, as far as I know, because of this very same software. Where's law? Where is justice? Does it even exist at this point? Does it exist in the United States? Does, if it doesn't exist here, does it exist anywhere? Turkey? I, I, I can understand you know having no justice in a place like Turkey, but the United States, Europe, Canada? Hell, even Mexico. It is, does it not exist anymore? When I tell you that it is a moral imperative for each and every individual within the sound of my voice to lift themselves out of the legacy bullshit, it's because of shit like this. A company that's making millions of dollars on the sale of a software they can't prove works and puts people in jail. Is that justice? Is that even capitalism? It's not. That's just cronyism. It's, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm actually shocked that it's that bad that their own person, their own lead investigator of the, the, the very division that holds this software doesn't know how it works, can't prove that it works, can't point to any scientific evidence whatsoever. There's no peer reviewed paper at all. And nobody's allowed to see the code either. They're not even releasing it to the defense attorney's team. He can't see it. I, if you're doing business with, coin, uh, with Coinbase, or not Coinbase, but, well, if you're doing business with chain analysis, and I know you're not because that's not my audience, but if for whatever reason you know somebody that is, tell them to stop. Don't do business with Coinbase either because they have an analytics tool. We got to get away from it. We got to get away from it. We got to get away from it. We got to get away from it now. SEC files charges against Quantstamp for $28 million initial coin offering. Oh, so these guys are in trouble, but Ripple's okay. Cointelegraph, Gareth Jenkinson has it. Blockchain security firm Quantstamp is set to return $28 million raised in 2017's initial coin offering following charges brought by the SEC. The U.S. agency announced that it had formally charged the California-based firm on July the 21st for conducting unregistered ICO of crypto asset securities. According to the SEC's statement, Quantstamp agreed to settle. The SEC's order outlines how Quantstamp ICO 
which took place in October and November of 2017, raised over $28 million by selling its native QSP tokens to some 5,000 investors. The platform intended to use its ICO proceeds to develop and markets its, market its automated smart contract security auditing platform. The SEC order highlighted its belief that QuantStamp emphasized the large market potential of its service, which led QSP buyers to expect the value of their tokens to appreciate in value. According to the SEC, QuantStamp failed to register its offering and sale of QSP tokens with the which the agency deemed to be securities. Quote, the SEC's order finds that QuantStamp violated the registration provisions of the federal securities laws without admitting or denying the SEC's findings, Quantstamp agreed to a cease and desist order and to pay disgorgement of $1.97 million pre-judgment interest of $494,000 in a civil penalty of $1 million. The outcome of the order also provisions the establishment of a fair fund to return funds to affected investors. The firm also agreed to transfer its own QSP token holdings to the fair fund administrator with the token set to be permanently disabled or destroyed. I guess that means sent to a burn address. The SEC order also notes that Quantstamp no longer operates or actively supports the automated smart contract security auditing following its deployment in June of 2019. So another one goes down, but Ripple's just fine. You know, Ripple's just fine. XRP, that, 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 that's cool. But this one, no, these guys, no, these guys are bad. It's, it's, a, it's a circus inside of a dumpster fire inside of a clown show the whole fucking thing needs to go down dude all right um nosternet.works is working extremely well with nosterfreaks.com according to ifan i-e-f-a-n over on noster um i used uh i tried out nosterfreaks.com yesterday and was able to have a column that was primal.app all right, so I had my primal column on the left-hand side. In the center, I had Noster Nests. And on the right-hand side, I had like snort.social or no, I had a, a Noster.band looking at Noster stats, just stat, statistics of the Noster network in general. I had all three columns. And there's more you can do with it. You can have like a column for Zap Life, Highlighter, Obla, Nosterband, Nosterbuild, Nosternest, uh, Coracle, Lister, Noster Chess, Zapstream, Zapster, and then you can add your own. It's got an add button, and that's how I added Primal.net, not Primal.app, Primal.net. I hit the add button, I typed in Primal.net, and lo and behold, it took it took my credentials. For me logging in to Noster Freaks, or Noster Freaks actually picked up my my login credentials automatically when I went to Noster Freaks and applied that to when I logged into Primal because it was my Primal Noster public private key pair. It wasn't just like some like like I wasn't logged in. It actually logged me in to Primal.net. I know, could be a little scary. I get that. I get that. I get it. I understand. But again, for the small price of inconvenience, if it buys us a way out of the bullshit, I will pay that price. 
I hope everybody else will too, because it's the only way we're getting out. It's the only way that we don't have to answer to Janet Yellen. It's the only way that we don't have to actually give a shit about what our demented fool of a president is actually doing while he drools on himself and sniffs the heads of children. I'm done with all of it. All of these people. And if you think, well, that means you voted for Trump. Fuck you. You don't know who the fuck I voted for. All right. I'm tired of that. You hate my side. So therefore you must be for the other side. If you were literally that much of a fucking simpleton, get out of my goddamn feed. Don't ever listen to me again. Please just leave. I'm done with all of it. But the only way that we can truly be done with it is to not use it or any of the products or services that they offer us. And that's going to be a lifelong journey. It's got to begin now. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is right fucking now. Plant this tree. This tree is just as important as any other tree on the face of the planet because it will get you out. It will lift you up off of the plane of bullshit and get you up into the atmosphere where you can breathe free. But it's going to take a while and you got to actually break your back digging a hole to put the fucking tree in, right? So stop being a sniveling little shit and let's get to work. Use the tools that we are, that we have been given. Even if it's like, well, you know, I got to do two extra steps. So what? But, but, you know, streaming through Twitch is much easier than Zapstream. No, first of all, it's not. It's just that you've got to learn the the new system. Zap.stream is actually pretty, or Zapstream, whatever. Was it Zapstream? Uh, Zap, I think it's Zap.stream. It uses OBS. Most Twitch people, or not most, I can't say that. A lot of Twitch people use OBS. I was using it. It's a little wonky. I got to figure out how to, how to you know, uh, tune it in a little bit so that it's not all janky and shit like that. But even I can do it. If I can do it, you can do it, right? The tools are here. Wavelake is here. Zapstream is here. Noster Nest is here. You're not using them. I'm not using them. I... I of course, and again, it's because I never used, I never used uh, the Twitter version of of Noster Nest, and I really not a streamer. Okay, so at least for those particular issues, I've I've got an excuse. But I was an early adopter of of well, when I wasn't an early adopter, I adopted Mastodon. I certainly was an early adopter of Noster. I'm never going to go back to Twitter. I'm not even going to try. And Instagram and Threads, they can. They kicked me off, so I don't have anything to do with those guys anymore. I, it just, the Noster is the only thing that makes sense, but it represents what? Having to learn something new, having to reach for stuff and go after things and grab, you know, grab things and and work with them. It's okay. You'll be fine. I promise. And it's going to get us to a better place. We want to be in that better place. I guarantee it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. Dad says jokes. Why do bees stay in their beehive in winter? Swarm. All right. Um, if you want to support the show, and God knows I need the support, 
you can boost me. You can stream Satoshi's to me with almost with any podcasting 2.0 app. Just go to newpodcastapps.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. And if you don't like Fountain, go find something else. Okay. It, it, it there's like, I think there's like 15 and there's new ones coming online all the time. Adam Curry and, and, and his crew with podcasting 2.0 have really infected and, and, kind of overcome a lot of fears of developers that were, you know, saying, God, I got to go up against podcasting. It's, you know, 20 years old or however long, 15, 17 years, I guess is really when it really kind of started kicking off. Um, And they didn't want to do it, but now there's an entirely new monetization set of models out there for people to use. And if you want to support this show, then you can you can even do it honestly you can do it through Patreon, Patreon Bitcoin and uh, let me you know, get to the exact uh, thing for you so that you can know but it's uh, Patreon dot com. Uh, what is my page? Let me see if I can get to it. Yeah, Bitcoin and podcast all one word. Patreon dot com Bitcoin and podcast all one word. You know I don't have a lot of patrons because I don't I don't really you know, talk about it all that often because I'd rather get Satoshis. But if you'd rather not, you know, part with your Satoshis, but you're okay with parting with bullshit fiat currency, I'll take it. It gets converted into Bitcoin, but I'll take it. I don't care. I literally don't care. In fact, there's there's a certain sense of maniacal joy that I feel when I take a U.S. dollar and I burn it for Bitcoin. There's something really, there's a great feeling about that. And so while a lot of people go, ooh, you take fiat, yeah, but it gets converted into Bitcoin. And how does that happen with Patreon? At when, Whenever it is that I take money off of Patreon, it goes to strike automatically. And, the, and I've got strike set up so that the second it sees any fiat currency whatsoever, it gets converted automatically to Bitcoin. That's how that works in case you want to know. So patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. You can boost me. You can stream me. You can do all those kinds of things. But best of all, if you don't have any money that you want to get rid of, but you do want to get rid of a few minutes of your time, a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts has been helpful. And honestly, if you re- if you also want to help, I don't know, put it in CoinKite's ear. Like if you're still on Twitter, if you're, you know, I don't know, I guess lucky enough to be on X or whatever the hell we're calling it now, um, get like, like send or tag CoinKite in a, uh, in a tweet or whatever, a zeet or a sheet, whatever the hell they're calling them now, tag them and tell them to pick me up as a sponsor. Just say you, you, you'd like to see CoinKite sponsor the Bitcoin and podcast and and do that with maybe Unchained Capital. Maybe do that with one of your other fully Bitcoin vendors. Don't do not do this to something like an Ethereum place or somebody that engages in shit coinery. I just can't. I mean, I you know, I don't mind taking fiat, but I will only fall so fucking low, dudes. But if you will help me there, then if I can get like better support for this podcast, I'll be able to do other things. I can't do the things that I want to be able to go out and do right now. And it really boils down to support. I can't just go buy the laptop so that I can take this whole thing mobile 
Because if I did, I'd be going over to central Washington and talking to a couple of cats out there about soil and cattle. I'd be going to western Idaho. I'd be going to northwest and northeast uh, Oregon. I'd be go. I'd be traveling back my happy ass down to Colorado, and go talk to the guys that I know down there at James Ranch and Beeville and a couple of other people because I really want to start talking to these people. And one of the questions I'm going to ask them is, what do they know about Bitcoin at all? As just a guy on the street, do they like it? What have they heard? What's their feeling about it? I don't want to sell them on it. I just want y'all to know what we're dealing with because we keep talking to each other. We're not talking to other people. I need to start doing that. I need your help to be able to do it. And with that, I will see you on the other side. Did he get very far? Fault lines inside of us And all the colors bleed Break lights with no gasoline And now I'm looking for
in Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.